Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Frigid Friday is how we're going to close out the week here on RP3 and Company. But you know what? Not to worry. We're bundled up, and we're about to comfort you like a warm blanket with all the great sports talk we have lined up for the next three hours. Hannah Five Names is here with bells on. She's ready to go. She has enthusiasm. She's not at all tired of the chilliness. I walk into the studio this morning. I know it's going to be a good show. When I walk into the studio and I put my stuff down and I hear the, ugh. <laughs> good morning, five names. How are you today? I'm doing okay. <laughs> I can actually say thank you to the fiance because he woke me up at like 1 a.m. this morning and says, let's get under the big blanket. We have like an UGG branded blanket. So it's like really thick. It's really, really cozy. So he like got underneath that. I'm thankful for him because if not, I probably was going to be cold as heck. Do you not have a heater in the new place? We do, but it has a mind of its own. Until we understand, like, how it works correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Just press buttons. So what you're telling me, what you're telling us, your game family, is that you moved into an establishment, a place, a residence, Mm -hmm. signed a lease Mm -hmm. for a place that you're not quite for sure if the heater works or how it actually works. That's what you're telling us. Well, once it gets heated up, it works. It does work. I just don't understand how it works because an older, like, everything in our our house is so much older that when we ask them how to fix some, some things, they can't find the model number because it's, like, too old and it's, like, discontinued. So, like, they're ordering us a new fridge right now because they can't find the model number for our fridge because it's that old. Is your house a 1978 Cordoba? Like, I just don't order what... What did you move into? I don't know. <laughs> oh. So they're down in the 30s. I don't like that. Don't, don't like that. 50s? Yes. 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 Got you. Yes. 60s? Breeze. Love well, it. Well, the weather forecasts informed everyone that it was going to be freezing conditions last night that you didn't necessarily need to, you know, you know, make sure your pipes were taken care of or, you know, drip water out of them so they wouldn't freeze. But it was pretty close, and it's going to be cold again tonight, so you just have to prepare. Yeah, I have a hose in my condenser right now, so a little bit of ice at the top bottom of my car right now on the windshield, I can't get that off because I can't turn the heater on. 
because I don't have a hose or whatever it's supposed to be to go from my condenser to the it's great time. I think I can speak for everyone. I need help. I know that I just feel like you need a hug. <laughs> <laughs> just, just need a hug. And during the break, not to worry, a hug will be coming your way. We got a tremendous show lined up for you today, despite the uh, frigid uh, conditions that Hannah Five Names is living in and driving in. We're gonna warm you up with some tremendous, tremendous sports talk today. James Yasko going to join us an hour from now, our buddy from the Lima Time Time podcast. He's going to give us his thoughts on the Justin Verlander contract situation. Is JV coming back? Is he or not? And what does he make about the fact that his team, the reigning World Series champs, currently do not have a general manager? We'll discuss that an hour from right now. Then at 7.30, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, the man that is the voice behind the ESPN Plus broadcast for Louisiana Raging Cajun Athletics, Dan McDonald will join us. Big win last night. We'll get to that for Bob Marlin and the men's basketball program. And of course, we'll look ahead to the football programs game at Florida State. Then we're going to be talking with another Dan at 8 o'clock. Dan Favalli from Bleacher Report, NBA reporter. Kind of an interesting start to the season for the association we'll break it all down with Dan Favalli at 8 o'clock 8 15 your fantasy football tips guidelines assistance however you want to describe describe it from the former rp3 and company fantasy football league champion Zach Miller and then we'll close it out with the big easy blitz Fletcher Mackle from WDSU Saints versus Rams, which mash unit will actually win the ball game on Sunday. So it's a jam-packed Friday edition, getting you ready for the weekend. We'll also touch on McNeese, UL, and LSU, and so much more. But we got to start off with a really, really busy Thursday night on the hardwood and on the gridiron. And we're going to start off with Thursday night football, which you could listen to right here on the game. Tennessee, Green Bay, Titans, kind of flying under the radar, which is odd because they're a perennial playoff team. Not a lot of people talking about them in the AFC. So much focus has been on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. By the way, you know who leads the NFL in turnovers? Josh Allen. MVP candidate? Also, turnover machine, he is the second coming of Brett Favre. Let's just hope Josh Allen's tail end of his career is not the same as Favre's. And let's hope his post-career isn't the same as Favre's as well. But not really paying attention to Tennessee all that much. Titans go on the road to Green Bay. Packers felt like they had bounced back with a win last week. But that may have been fool's gold. As Tennessee goes into Lambeau in the middle of November and beats them 27-17. to Green Bay now falls to 4-7 and overall on the season. They're 3-3 three and three at Lambeau. Packers have problems. Tennessee, meanwhile, sneakily 
has improved to 7-3 and three overall on the season. Story in this game? Would you believe that Ryan Tannehill performed better than Aaron Rodgers? Yes, Ryan Tannehill was the far better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. Tannehill, 22 of 27. He only had five incompletions in a road game. For 333 yards. Two touchdowns, a pick. He was sacked three times. Rodgers, meanwhile, 24 of 39 for only 227 yards. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. Tannehill outperformed Aaron Rodgers, which is something you got to try to wrap your head around. And then it was Derrick Henry. The predator, as I like to call him, who just absolutely destroys everyone in front of him. The big fella led all rushers with 87 yards on the ground. Touchdown, averaged 3.1 yards a pop. But Henry also caught a couple passes for 45 yards and then threw a touchdown as well. They gave up a passing touchdown to the big fella in this game. Titans, look, Tennessee is is one-dimensional. They're led by Henry. Tannehill is inconsistent, especially when it comes to the postseason. But they play defense. They're coached up. Mike Variable does a nice job with them, even though they're one-dimensional. Not surprised that they're ascending as the calendar soon turns to Thanksgiving. Green Bay, they got problems. They've had problems all season, and it does not appear that it is being rectified. Four and seven. Who's he throwing to? They don't have playmakers on the outside. Green Bay decided to be bold with their strategy and go, you know what? Let's not have any playmakers at the skill positions and see what happens with our aging quarterback. Who also, by the way, you know, didn't necessarily work out with his young wide receivers to develop a rapport in the offseason because, you know, he's Aaron Rodgers and he doesn't think he needs to. But that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> we can we can go into it. Aaron Rodgers not necessarily doing what he's supposed to be doing. So much. We could have that discussion so many different days. When we don't have so much to talk about, we'll dive into Aaron Rodgers and uh, his reputation of being a quote-unquote teammate. It's the best way we'll describe that. A bit of an off night in the association, but we had some great college football or rather, we had a statement game in college football. Tulane Green Wave. Their hopes of getting into a New Year's Six bowl game were dashed last weekend when they lost to UCF. They're still ranked in the top, they're still ranked in the top 25 in the college football rankings, but they have other group of five teams that are now ranked above them that have a better chance of getting there than them. I mean, you look at the most recent college football playoff rankings. UCF, the team that beat them, is now 17. So they're in the driver's seat. Tulane's still at 21, but Cincinnati's right there behind them at 22, and Coastal Carolina's right there at 23. So Tulane's, you know, 
dream of making it to, say, the Cotton Bowl took a big hit. So how do the Green Wave respond? Well, they host a Thursday night football game against SMU, which has always been a thorn in their side, the Mustangs, and uh, they beat them 59-24. to Took them behind the woodshed there at Yolman Stadium and said, get out of our face, go back to Dallas, get your nonsense out of here. And they didn't even need Pratt to do all that much. 9 of 14, 141 yards, efficient three touchdown passes. Spears on the ground, led them, led all rushers with 121 yards, averaging 9.3 yards a carry. Clayton Johnson, meanwhile, averaged 9.4 yards a carry. I was told there'd be no math five names, but when you have not one but two running backs in a single game, average over nine yards a carry, that's pretty good, correct? I'm getting a shaking the head yes. Yes. It has been confirmed by our research and stats department that, in fact, if you have two running backs averaging more than nine yards a carry, that is, in fact, good. Pratt, who had the three touchdown passes, you know what else he did? He only averaged seven yards a carry, rushed for 70 yards, and scored three touchdowns on the ground. That's right, a six-total touchdown performance by the Green Wave starting quarterback as they bounce back in a huge way, get to 9-2 and two on the season, and keep pace because they'll face UCF, by the way, in the conference championship game. So they still have a chance to maybe sneak into that group of five spot in the New Year's Six Bowl games. Still got a chance. It's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination, but they still have a chance. So nice bounce back for the two-lane green wave. Disappointing loss, dust yourself off, get out there and destroy another team on national TV. <laughs> Just absolutely was phenomenal. That's what you want to see. It's exactly what you want to see from them. Because things can snowball on you in a heartbeat. That's the great stuff that happened on the gridiron. What about the hardwood? We had a dandy of a ball game right here, didn't we? Right here at the Cajun Dome last night. Bob Marlin's team was looking to continue starting the season undefeated. And they welcomed in a Louisiana Tech team that, boy, they were game, man. They came in and fought and scrapped and did everything they could to take down Bob Marlin's Raging Cajun team. And it looked like they were going to for a long stretch in this game. Tech shot the heck out of the ball. 52% from the field in this game. 56% from three-point range. That three-point ball kept them in the game. In fact, had them the lead in this game. They held a seven-point lead at the break and maintained that lead for a good portion of the second half. And then the Raging Cajuns woke up. Jordan Brown, Kendrell Garnett, Greg Williams Jr., and Terrence Lewis II 
who led the Cajuns with 23 points, they rallied and got the job done. Greg Williams Jr. scored seven of his 16 points in a 19-3 run in the second half as UL rallied from an 11-point deficit to claim a 94-88 win over in-state rival Louisiana Tech. Lewis got his second double-double of the season. The Raging Cajuns improved to 4-0 on the season, and that is their best start to open a season since 1989-1990. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Also, the win gives Bob Marlin, the longtime Raging Cajun head basketball coach, Win number 450 in his career. 450 in his career. So Raging Cajuns, man, looking good. They're looking good. They're the preseason favorites. They're the team everyone's looking towards, especially in the Sun Belt Conference. They get tested at home. They get punched in the mouth. Louisiana Tech comes in, wants to disrupt them. Would love nothing more than ruin a, uh, ruin a night for the Raging Cajuns. But the Cajuns respond. Veteran teams do this. Great early sign of this team. And while the Cajuns were doing that against the Bulldogs of Tech, at another in-state game, not nearly as close. LSU improved to 3-0 on the season as they easily took down UNO 91-62. Matt McMahon gets his third win of his tenure there as the new head basketball coach. Once again, they've played Kansas City, Arkansas State, and UNO. Not exactly a bunch of world beaters, but they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, getting that win. They'll have the weekend off, and then they're going to be going and playing in the Cayman Islands Classic Hannah, by the way, it's not going to be frigid in the Cayman Islands, in case you were wondering. By the way, you may want to discuss that with the Mad Dog as part of a cruise package. Cayman Islands, classic Illinois State on Monday, and then they'll play Akron or Western Kentucky on Tuesday, and then another team on Wednesday. So that's how they're going to wrap up Thanksgiving week is playing in that. But LSU will go into that tournament 3-0 and after last night's 91-62 win over UNO. Got to take a timeout. When we come back here on RP3 Company, we'll hear from the Raging Cajuns following that big win. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You know, they're all special. The guys drenched me. I'm soaking wet now, and, and uh, they were excited and, and, you know, celebrating, you know, me and my success. So they're, they're the, the reason that I do this. I love this team, and, and I'm going to continue to give them my best effort and, and hang in there even when it looks bleak at times. 
uh, but we, we rallied just in time. But it uh, just means you've been doing it a long time is what Evan told me earlier. So, But, no, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to win. It was good to win against this group, too. Bob Marlin, afterwards talking about UL's 94-88 win where they rallied from 11 points down to take down in-state rival Louisiana Tech. The Raging Cajuns improved to 4-0 on the season. And it was Bob Marlin's win number 450 at the Division I level. I know a lot of you don't care for Bob Marlin. A lot of Raging Cajun fans are not pleased with the fact that they haven't made more postseason tournaments. But the man can coach. He's a good coach. And good coaches don't grow on trees. So I just, you know, I've always said this for years because I've never had any issues with Bob. We have him on the show all the time. He's always been professional. And he understands the disappointments that they've had. I go back to that team that set the record for most regular season wins, inexplicably loses on senior night to prevent them from going to the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. So many things had to happen for that team not to get to the NCAA tournament. If that season in particular was different, had a different ending, I don't think people would be as frustrated with the state of the Cajuns men's basketball program. And I've said this before, and I've talked to Kevin about this. Think about that. Sets the new record for single season wins. They lose to a bad Little Rock team on senior night. Just inexplicably, just they had a dud. That loss changed their RPI so much that they were no longer going to be able to get into the NCAA tournament as an at-large. Their RPI was good enough that even if they didn't win their conference tournament, they still had a chance to make it to the NCAA tournament. But that loss took that off the table. Then they get to the conference tournament held at UNO. And Jakeen and Gant gets sick. Starts throwing up on the sidelines. I remember it like it was yesterday. Tim and Kevin and I were there covering the game. They get eliminated early. So now they don't get the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. But then they get to the NIT, still a postseason tournament, and they're facing LSU. They're facing Will Wade, year number one. They go back and forth, and then LSU beats them in that game. And then Will Wade does his best battle rap with Bob Marlin afterwards, is petty at the end of the game. So, you lose on senior night, that eliminates your opportunity to get to the NCAA tournament as an at-large. You lose in the conference tournament, and then you lose to LSU. If you change any one of those three things, the perception of Bob at UL is completely different. But you got to give credit, despite the injuries, they were able to fight and get all the way to the conference tournament championship game last year, right? They're the preseason favorite to win it all this year. He's got a lot of talented players back. And now they've started off 4-0. 
the effort in the second half is what really stands out to me. Once again, down by 11 points. They found a way, and Marlon talked about the effort his team gave there at the end. Yeah, we played hard uh, defensively. And again, we challenged them at halftime. They came out ready to go. and uh, we, we felt like they would, and we, we were good early. They made a little push, uh, and we just, we just stayed the course, just kept playing. And it's nice to come out on top in, in this game, especially. And the way, the way we did it, coming from behind by 11, is, is impressive, too. Came back from 11. Got to love the effort there. And anytime you can be tested early in the season, it's going to help you greatly for the rest of the year. To be tested and then to overcome that adversity, if you will, that's a great thing. It's absolutely a great thing and something that is going to benefit this Raging Cajuns team moving forward. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to shift gears. We're going to unveil the poll question of the day, and then we're going to talk a little McNeese athletics, hoops, football. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about it all coming up right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station and you're home for the lsu tigers and the world series champion houston astros isn't it maybe probably maybe just a root beer or some flavored water back to more kick-ass sports talk with rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station Oh, here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. Look, you'll be surprised by that. Uh, We were when we had our fence installed a few years ago. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood. But sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year. And look, there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out there and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to remind you call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Poll question of the day. It's about the college foosball. That's right. College foosball time. Which college football playoff contender is the most on upset alert for this weekend. It's the final week before rivalry weekend where we get those great matchups, Michigan-Ohio State, Georgia-Georgia Tech, Alabama-Auburn, Florida-Florida State, right? USC-Notre Dame. That's all on tap next weekend. But we have a few contenders that have some possible hurdles this weekend 
And which one of them is the most in danger of being upset? Michigan is number three. They have one of the best defenses in the country. They're going to be taking on a scrappy Illinois team that's been ranked a few times this season. They suffered a bad loss last week against Purdue that knocked them out of the driver's seat to win the West Division title in the Big Ten. Michigan should win this game. Should win this game. But does Brett Bielema and the fighting alumni have something up their sleeves for the Wolverines? Number four, TCU. On the road at Baylor. Has to go to Waco. Baylor's a pretty good ball club. They're not ranked in the college football playoff rankings, but they're still pretty good. And as we've talked about before for TCU, they can't afford a slip up. They have to win out. Now, they were more than a touchdown dog last week on the road at Texas and easily defeated the Longhorns. Can they go ahead and pile up another win and march a little bit closer to punching their ticket for the college football playoff out of the Big 12? And then there's USC, number seven, lurking right there. Huge brand. We know the committee would love nothing more than to have USC. But of all the teams that we mentioned, they may have the toughest challenge because USC has number 16 UCLA this weekend. By the way, in that game, both teams wear their home unis. So it's all about the color, which is kind of cool. UCLA this weekend, Notre Dame next weekend, and then more than likely Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. So USC is going to have to beat three straight ranked teams to get into the playoff or have a chance to be in the playoff. So which college football playoff contender is most in danger of being upset this weekend? Is it Michigan versus Illinois? Is it TCU at Baylor? Or is it USC versus UCLA? We'd love to hear from you. Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts and your comments on Facebook and on Twitter, which, by the way, still exists despite everyone freaking out yesterday that it wasn't. Right now, 47% of you say USC versus UCLA. 33% say TCU against Baylor. And 20% say Michigan versus Illinois. Salty Steve says, on Friday, I put on my vermilion-colored glasses. No comment is my answer. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Hashtag no salt Friday. JPK, the OD, says TCU will lose to Baylor and Iowa State next week. USC will lose as well to UCLA and Notre Dame. Oregon will lose to Utah just to make sure. Ohio State rolls Michigan by 30. The path for three SEC teams to make the playoffs is open. LSU agents of chaos. Y'all really think Ohio State's going to beat Michigan by 30? I keep seeing this. Really? By 30? I don't know, man. I, I don't see that. It's a rivalry game, too. John Paul says Michigan is a paper tiger. It will be seen before season's end. Man, y'all, lots of hate for Big Blue on this timeline. Michigan has only played three teams with winning records. UConn, Maryland, both one game over 500 in Penn State. All the other teams they have played are bad. Yeah. Yeah. But you play the teams that are on your schedule. 
I mean, if you take away the Notre Dame win, who's Ohio State beaten? I mean, we could make we could have that same argument, John Paul. I mean, you take away the Notre Dame win for Ohio State. Who else have they de- defeated? They defeated Penn State. Their schedule is almost identical to Michigan's. So there you go. And for a while, everyone thought that Notre Dame win wasn't very good because Notre Dame wasn't very good. Now they've turned it around at the end. Y'all love to hate. Love to hate on Big Blue. They love hating on Michigan. I just don't get it. Are are, are y'all Saints fans that are upset about Cesar Ruiz struggling the first couple years of his career? Because, you know, he drafted him out of Michigan. (laughs) I just don't. I just don't know. I just don't know. Look, Michigan could lose this weekend to Illinois. That's why it's on the poll question. But y'all, y'all have them losing by 30 to Ohio State. That's a rivalry game, man. Michigan's undefeated. Michigan went to the college football playoff last year. You think they're going to lose by 30 to Ohio State in the game? I don't know, man. I don't know. There's a lot of pride involved there for that to happen. It's not as if, you know, they're Vandy or something playing Georgia. Speaking of college football, let's talk a little McNeese Cowboys football, shall we? Gary Goff, year one. There's been some struggles, right? Roster. They've had some injuries. Have struggled to be able to find consistent play from the quarterback position, which is always a challenge. Yet, they have figured out their run game. They've become one of the best power run teams in the Southland Conference. They have the Southland Conference's leading rusher and Deontay McMahon. And they've built up a winning streak here. They've won back-to-back games. They won their first conference game and their first road game last week against Houston Christian at the pharmacy. And now they welcome in Lamar. Old-school rivalry, border war type of game. And Goff's team is looking to end the season with three straight wins and head into the postseason, which they won't be playing in, but say more likely their offseason, with some momentum, which will help with recruiting. And Gary Goff spoke to the media yesterday, and he talked about a few different things. And mainly he talked about you know what they need to do behind the scenes and what would it mean for this program to end the regular season winning three straight games? Well, I mean, uh, you know, we, we've been having small victories off the field, you know, and, and they're starting to carry over onto the playing field, which is extremely encouraging for us. Um, you, you know, guys are understanding that doing the right thing uh, off the field uh, will will put you in a position on Saturdays to do the right thing in, in order to win. So uh, it, it's just buying in, right? It's, it's uh, trusting the process, buying into it, uh, knowing that, uh, there's a reason uh, the way we do things and, and why we do things. So it, it'd mean a lot. It'd mean a lot for us to go into the offseason on a, on a three-game win. And, and um, you know, some of these players understand they they got to do better in the weight room, got to get bigger, faster, and stronger. And then we've got to recruit. We've got to re- add some more pieces to the puzzle. Starting quarterback, we've talked about it with Jim Gazzolo. Don't think the starting quarterback for the 2023 McNeese Cowboys is on the roster. 
They've played four different quarterbacks. They've had flashes. But for this program to take the next step, you got to have more consistent play at quarterback. And they've also been banged up. Knox Kadem, banged up. Then Walker Wood, banged up. They had to go to Ryan Roberts last week, making his first start. In windy conditions, he throws three interceptions. Two of those weren't really on him. But you still ask the freshman out there to, to you know, you put them in a, you know, a tough spot. And Golf shared his thoughts on who's going to be the starting quarterback this Saturday against Lamar. Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, you can't share your thoughts. No, uh, you know, Ryan's going to be the quarterback. You know, really, you look at last week's film, and um, Ryan didn't play as bad as maybe his stats showed. You know, we had two, two of those interceptions bounced off receivers' hands. And uh, you, you've got to make plays for a quarterback in his first collegiate start and, and a young, young quarterback at that. So, um, you know, I, I'm confident in Ryan. You know, he's going to make the right decision. We just need some guys around him to make some plays for him. And, um, you know, so, no, Ryan's going this week, going to be a starter. In particular, the wide receiving core, which has been a massive disappointment. It, their offensive line has figured out how to run block, and they are nasty from about the southeastern game on. And they can run the football. They're a power run team. The air raid guru has a team that's a old school power running football team. But the wide receivers don't get open. They don't get separation. They're not on the same page with the quarterbacks. It's been an issue. They got to improve, upgrade quarterback and wide receiver this offseason. What about Lamar? You know, they're back into the Southland Conference. They joined a year early. You know, what kind of challenges? do they present for the Cowboys? Well, I mean, you know, Lamar's a good program that's that's trying to find their way. They got some really good players. Uh, they're playing a lot of young guys that I think are going to be some really good players uh, down the road. So very similar to us, you know, they've been playing hard the last several weeks. Um, defensively, you know, they're, they're going to play back but bring a lot of pressure to try to prevent the big plays. And offensively, they like, they like to run the ball. So, um, you know, just like us, they're trying to win on a high note. You know, so I expect them to come in here and, and give it their all. 7 o'clock is kickoff inside the hole tomorrow night. Yours truly will be in the house to see it all unfold. We'll have a post-game video recap. We'll have a game story up on the website. There may even be a gallery somewhere on our social media accounts from the festivities for the regular season finale for the McNeese football program. But that's not the only action going on on campus this weekend. The McNeese men's basketball team's hosting a little tournament this weekend as well. They have programs like Lindenwood, Lamar, Western Carolina all come in for a little pre-Thanksgiving tournament held there at the Legacy Center. This is a nice way of getting more fans to come. You have these little tournaments. You get teams from across the country to come because it is a beautiful facility, the Legacy Center, now fully rehabbed after the storms. And... The Cowboys themselves, they'll take on Western Carolina tonight or this afternoon, rather, at 4.30. And then they'll take on Lindenwood at 1.30 on Saturday. And then Sunday, they'll close it out at 1.30 versus Lamar. Plenty of Lamar-McNeese action this weekend over in the Chuck. The Cowboys themselves, they're 1-1 one one to start the season early on. They opened up with an easy win, 110-54 to win over champion Christian, and then went on the road and... Now, hung tough for a little while, but came up short against the Tulane Green Wave, 75-58. to 
John Aiken is in his second year at the helm, former assistant coach under Heath Schroer. And he's trying to establish himself. It was a rough go of it last year as they got back into the Legacy Center halfway through the season. And now they're trying to really establish what this program needs to be, what it's going to be. And this tournament is going to give them a great opportunity to get three looks from three wildly different opponents, and that can help them the rest of the way. You're going to get three different styles, too. Like Western Carolina is very pack line oriented defensively. Uh, so they're going to be in gaps. They're going to not try to give up baseline penetration. They're going to do some different things on ball screen coverage. And so you're going to get that kind of look against them, which would kind of be like a Corpus Christi look. They really pressure the ball, uh, very physical on the ball. They don't get overextended defensively. They make you take tough twos. So you'll get that kind of look. Then Linden Woods a little bit more pressure oriented, um, a little bit more uh, sporadic in terms of how they play defensively. And then Lamar is playing multiple defenses. They'll play a couple zones, they'll play a man, they'll do different things. So you have to be versatile. I mean, you have to, you, none of the game plans are gonna be the same. We're, not, we're probably gonna run very different offensive packages in each game based on the coverages we're gonna be seeing. Um, the thing that would be good for us is in our matchup zone, seeing how three different teams look to attack it on back-to-back -back nights. Um, and get So it's going to be a great test. You get to face three different opponents with three different styles back-to-back-to-back. -to -back -to -back. It's going to help develop your team. It's going to help you be better prepared for the back end of the schedule. Once again, the McNeese MTE is this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Lindenwood, Lamar, Western Carolina, of course, McNeese will be held there at the Legacy Center all weekend long. And, of course, the McNeese football team wraps up the regular season versus Lamar tomorrow night, 7 o'clock in the hole. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll wrap up our number one here on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is LSU star Jack Besh. And you're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Poll question of the day Which college football playoff contender is most in danger of being upset this weekend? Is it number three, Michigan versus Illinois? Is it number four, TCU at Baylor? Or is it number seven, USC versus number 16, UCLA? And once again, the Trojans probably have the most difficult stretch of any of those teams. Michigan has to play Ohio State next weekend, which is a huge challenge. TCU still has to try to make it to the Big 12 championship game as well. But USC has to play UCLA this weekend, then Notre Dame next weekend, and then possibly Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. So it's going to be a bit of a, a, a tall task for the Trojans right now. 55% of you say USC is most in danger of being upset. 28% say TCU, and 17% of you say Big Blue in Michigan. Brad on Twitter says UCLA winning is the most likely, but an upset by the rankings only. A real upset would be TCU or Michigan losing. Ton on the Twitter says, I'm thinking TCU, whenever they get ranked high, they have a tendency to fall and fall hard to Baylor. doesn't matter the sport. They do kind of have that between the two. It's a good point there. Baylor always plays up for TCU. That's kind of a little under-the-radar rivalry there in the state of Texas. 
Doug on the Twitter says, would like to see Baylor trip up TCU. UCLA could kick the Pac-12 out of the playoffs. Yeah, if UCLA wins, the Pac-12 has no shot at whatsoever of making the college football playoffs. Will be a great weekend of football either way. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on Facebook and on Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Hour number one has come to a close, but not to worry. We got great stuff coming up in hour number two. James Yasko will lead us off talking all things Strohs. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. on this, let's be honest, sweltering, balmy Friday morning. (laughs) No, it's not. No, it's not. But I like it. This is football weather. It's supposed to be chilly for the holidays. Okay? It's supposed to be brisk for around Thanksgiving and for Christmas. Nothing worse than 78 degree in humidity for Christmas. No one wants that. No one likes that for the holidays. So just bundle up, put on a hoodie. If you need recommendations when it comes to hoodie wear, reach out to the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. She has an entire closet filled with hoodies. She is what I call an expert with the hoodie wear. Yeah, Kenneth won't let me get any more hoodies. He said I can't. I tried to all the time. He says no. Fiance says no more hoodies, which means you know what we have to do. We have to buy our another hoodie for Christmas. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Which team, which college football playoff contender is more likely, most likely, to be upset this weekend? Is it Michigan versus Illinois? Is it TCU versus Baylor? Or is it USC versus UCLA? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, it's time for us to talk Major League Baseball, Houston Astros, with our good friend from the Lima Time Time podcast. He's also a contributor for the Houston Chronicle, and a man who really needs no introduction, yet I give it to him all the time, James Yasko. Good morning, James. How are you? I'm I'm well. You know, we're all kind of tap dancing on the grave of Twitter, so, uh, you know, that's that's fun. <laughs> Everyone's shooting... Everyone's shooting their shot. Everyone's getting off their final jokes before, you know, it sort of gets it crashes and burns like a Tesla. Well, here's here's my thing about that. Are, am I supposed to believe that a billionaire spent a billion dollars buying a company only to burn it to a, to the ground? Not just a billion, forty forty four billion dollars. Yes, that's apparently what what we are what we are faced with yeah because i saw him on twitter this morning kind of just trolling everyone it feels like he bought twitter just to troll everyone that's what it feels like to me very accurate i I think that's extremely (laughs) accurate 
I just, you know, he wants to make people panic and everyone's saying, hey, make sure to follow me on Instagram or if this, this is the last night of Twitter, do all this. And I'm just thinking to myself, boy, this sure does feel like a troll job. This feels like he just wants to whip up everyone into a frenzy and he's just sitting back like the villain from Inspector Gadget just cackling with a cat. Like, that's just all I can imagine. It's it's not dissimilar to what I would do if I had unfathomable wealth. Like I'd buy the Rangers and then destroy them. Like that's that's what I would that's that's what I would do. Like I, I guess if you have enough money, you can you can just burn it down. And and so what? Let's start with the Rangers because Rob Manford makes the announcement that they're going to give the All Star Game to Arlington they're going to host in 2024 bud Seattle next year then the Rangers the year after that back-to-back American League West teams hosting the Midsummer Classic how do you feel it's huge it's it's just an unbelievable marketing opportunity for the world's largest tractor supply company to host the all-star game uh you know good yeah no it's it's gonna be it's gonna be good you know Dusty Baker's gonna just gonna have to you know have a three and a half hour drive to manage the American League team. <laughs> there it is. There it is. All right, let's talk about your Strohs. The early deal they make is for Montero, so it means their World Series bullpen is fully intact. Uh, what do you make of the deal that they gave uh, for him locking him up for three years? Yeah. Oh, wow. Sort of mixed. Sort of, I mean, it's, I mean, good. You know, I mean, you don't, you don't, change the formula that that just won you a ring uh unless unless you have the opportunity to fire the gm um which i'm sure we'll get to but 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 three years 34 million for for montero uh kind of seems on the high side the last year was was really good but we're not so far removed from him having a 7.3 era for seattle uh when the astros acquired him and, and again he he's been he's been spectacular with the astros um but but and I, I guess with baseball economics being the way that they are, you know, eleven million dollars to to lock down, you know, your seventh and eighth inning. That's that's not that's not too bad. But but it it just feels like, wow. huh? I mean, it's it's yeah, it's fine, I guess. <laughs> I love that. Uh, okay, all right. So uh, that leads me to my next question. JV wants a ton of money, right? We know this. He's thirty nine. He just won his third Cy Young. This week, he wants to get that last big payday. And when it's in baseball terms, big paydays are often associated with a long-term deal. It's all about the years for the players. He wants a three-year deal with a fourth-year option, correct? That's what we're hearing. Is that that's what JV wants or even something longer? Yeah, it sounds, yeah. Well, I think if someone would give him five years, he'd, he'd take it. Um, but it, it looks like three-year minimum. So three-year deal with probably a fourth-year option. He's going to want north of $100 million. My question to you is this. In this new era, as, as great as JV was this year, he won the Cy Young, for crying out loud. Do you pay a 39-year-old pitcher $100 million for three years in an era where starting pitchers only last five to six innings? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's going to take, all it takes is one general manager. You know, it, it doesn't, you don't have to have 30 general managers or 30 owners sign off on that deal. All it takes is one. 
uh, you know, and it's kind of like the the A Rod deal. You know, everyone, no, there was only one guy that thought he was worth ten years and two hundred and fifty two million dollars, and and that's where he went. Um, but but I again, it's it, it's it's Justin Verlander. You know, yes, it's it's normal for a starting pitcher to go five or six innings. Verlander goes seven, uh, you know, seven or eight. So, but know, he won't forever though, James. That and 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 we and, don't know that. You you don't know that. He might be seventy one years old. It's one hundred and forty six degrees at first pitch, and here's JV uh, taking the mound uh, with a one. The bionic. He's the he's the six million dollar man. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so that's we, that's we fine. That, rule out. We cannot rule out that that his he had a bionic arm put on uh you know we didn't see him for a couple of years so you know there's i don't have any proof that he he doesn't have a literal mechanical motorized shoulder um or elbow does so, does yeah, with I mean, no gm there to say no does jim crane go out there and give jv whatever he wants i think so i think i think verlander is is exactly the type of player that that crane wants and i think crane wants to replicate uh this season and if that means that that you you pay you pay the money uh, and they, the, the Astros have it, you know, let's, let, let's not be shy about spending a billionaire's money. Um, you know, the, the, I, they, they've gotten 30 million, they, they've paid next year's salary based off of world series hoodies that have been bought in the last two weeks. So um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think crane ultimately gives him whatever he wants to stay, to stay in Houston. So you believe Verlander is actually going to be coming back to H town. I think crane would very much like Justin Verlander to go into the hall of fame with an Astros cap on. And another another three or four seasons might might do that. Yeah, I, I, because I mean, you look what he's done. He's got the three thousand strikeout. He got a third no hitter. Uh, two World one, Series, a two World Series, two. Uh, he's won a Cy Young, uh, two two Cy Youngs, right? With with Houston, two, yeah, two. So, all right. So let me ask you. Let me ask you this then. Explain to me this whole crane click thing, because. Jim Crane hired James Click. James Click was on staff as essentially a lieutenant with what the front office had been doing since 2017 and essentially got promoted up. So how do those two guys, how are they so far apart? How are they so not on the same page? I, I, I don't know. I think Click is extremely um, – so Click was a – he, he was like a writer for like baseball prospectus and was into like fantasy sports and then came from Tampa. Um, he's a guy that looks for value. And, and I think he's cheap you know, I think we is talk, what you're saying. He's cheap. He, he's not cheap, but why spend $10 million on a two war player when you can <clears throat> spend $750,000 on a two war player, even if no one's ever heard of the $750,000 guy. Um, I just think they have two extremely different approaches to on how to construct a, a major league team crane very much wants to. And I, I think the last six years have, have proven that, that they, they should be, but, but crane wants the Astros to be as, as synonymous with success as, as the Dodgers <laughs> uh, or the Yankees, <laughs> um, you know, those, those sort of those, those marquee names. Uh, he wants to prove that what happened with the trash cans was, was, was a fluke. Uh, and how do you do that? You just keep winning when everyone hates you and you've got you've got the eye of Rob Manfred on you. And so I, I think that that Crane wants to be wants to be splashy and and splashy is not James Click style. Do you believe they will actually hire GM 
before they need a GM in place to make all these deals? Or you think Crane's just going to write the checks and be done with it and just hire some guy just to fill an office? It it's it it feels a little too Jerry Jonesy for me. I think Ooh. there's I think it's 50-50. He either goes out and gets a GM, which if you're a GM, would you want to work for Jim Crane, the the guy that won won a World Series, got got let go a week later? Um, you know, I I think that 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 we might be looking at interim GM Jim Crane. How soon does Crane make the deals that he wants to make? He obviously wants to bring Verlander back. Verlander has publicly stated that he wants to explore free agency. And get it, he wants to be wooed, right? And he wants to see how much he can get. And then essentially, I would assume, go back to Jim and say, look, the Dodgers are offering me this, or the Yankees are offering me this. Can you guys match it or make it better? I assume that's what that deal is going to be like, right? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, think about it from Verlander's perspective. Verlander has never gone through free agents. Uh, you know, he was, he was a lifer with the Tigers and got traded to the Astros and then they extended him. So, so this is kind of the first chance that, and I'm sure that Verlander's talked to other clubs and, and, you know, before signing extensions, you know, sort of had a, a chance to gauge the market for his services, but this is the first time he's gone into an off season and, and there's 30 teams that, that would, that would want him. Um, so it's, this has got to be pretty fun for, for Verlander. Um, but I, I, yeah, sorry. My, my daughter came in and was asking me a question and I totally missed the the question that you were asking. (laughs) We're talking with James Yasko, a man who has laser focus when it comes to the Houston. Hopefully she finds those socks. (laughs) Hopefully she finds those socks. All right, besides making sure JV comes back, getting a hitting first baseman has to be the number one priority this offseason for the Strohs, right? Yeah, I think first baseman just because, you know, I I think Chaz McCormick earned himself a shot uh, with the postseason that he had. So, you know, I think going into or if you just ended, ended the regular season and went straight into free agency, you'd be looking at first base and center field. I think if they can upgrade at center field, they will. Um, but but first base is 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 the priority uh, for for the Astros. What's the likelihood that they bring back Michael Brantley Jr.? Uh, I mean, the, again, it's so hard to tell because we don't know who the GM is. You know, if it's if it's you know the Brantley's impact on on the team far outweighed the contribution that he had with the bat. You know, there's the the sort of the legendary pre-game, what, game four, um, the talk that he had with with the hitters that, you know, he was, even though he wasn't playing, he was there and his presence was there. And he's that, that was an extremely important uh, for role for him. So I think if, if he is able to come back, then I think the Astros would, would love to have, I mean, who wouldn't love to have, you know, a steadying veteran, presence who is apparently one of the most wonderful human beings ever and oh by the way he hits like 320 um you know that that would be that that you'd like to have that back also if you can get Brantley back that means you don't have to put the big fella out in left field and you can just have him dh because he's not very comfortable playing in the outfield he did he he, he didn't do anything egregious you know he made a couple of good plays um, well, he, no, he James. Wasn't, he 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 wasn't Jose Canseco letting the ball bounce off his head in, in into the stands. No, okay, but 
he, he wasn't, wasn't exactly looking comfortable out there in left field. Yeah, no, he's he was not a liability in the sense that Ryan Gosling was in Remember the Titans. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, no, it'd be it absolutely allows Jordan to to just be DH and you know play left every once in a while. You know, the, I think you'll continue to see the DH spot sort of rotate between who needs who needs a little bit of a, a break on their on their body. You know, the good news is about about next year is that it's going to be a normal season. You know, this this season was condensed a little bit. Uh, due to the the lockout, but so so there will be some more rest kind of built in during the season. But uh, I think that's that's why you have the DH. To, you know, you can DH Altuve one day, you can DH Bregman one day. Um, you know, I think most of it goes to Jordan, but but you can sort of rotate that around. What you going to do this weekend, bud? Uh, I have to go to Dallas. I'm going to a birth my, my nephew's birthday party, so I, I will be in enemy territory. But but I'll I'll wear the brightest orange World Series champion hoodie you can you see me coming a mile away you'll think i'm a construction worker is there any possibility that you ride by globe life and throw rotten produce at it and scream something disparaging about the facility so one of the i I haven't i haven't been to globe life yet my wife did she went and saw elton john and she was like that stadium sucks and and i have to agree with her um but in 2016 it was early in the season we went to a an Astros Rangers game. And, and I just drove around the parking lot with the windows down playing go, go Astros as, as loud as my speakers would allow it to be. Uh, and, and the number of middle fingers that I got numbered in the dozens. And so I, I'd like to, I'd like to run that back. <laughs> I'd like to see that brother. Enjoy your weekend, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. We'll talk world cup next week. Can't That's wait. right. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Hey, you too. Thank you. That's James Yasko, a man of many talents going to rock his Astros gear in enemy territory. You just heard him. He just could, just couldn't even bring himself to even enjoy the thought of going to Dallas-Fort Worth. The Metroplex makes him want to hurl. In the state of Texas, you're either Houston or you're Dallas. You can't be both. You can't be both. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Hey, let me tell you something else that's a whole thing. How about a great deal? AcadianaDeals.com has another one lined up for you today. Today, you can get a $30 voucher to Mudcat Whiskers for only $15. That's it. $30 voucher to Mudcat Whiskers. Great stocking stuffer for only $15. That's a $30 deal for half the price. Once again, visit AcadianaDeals.com. That's AcadianaDeals.com today to get yourself a $30 voucher to Mudcat Whiskers for only 15 bucks. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For Sports Talk Love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
7.25 on this chilly Friday morning on RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one. I keep warm in chilly conditions. You know how? Because I'm fat. I have extra insulation, so to speak. I am built for the winter. (laughs) I am not built for summer, but I am built for the winter. Store up, I eat all year, and then when the winter comes, ah, I just do this. I just, I just, I just rub my arms together, and boom, instant heat. Others have to go out there and buy themselves a hoodie collection. That's how it goes. We're just warming up though here on RP3 and Company. Dan McDonald, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. The play-by-play voice for ESPN Plus broadcast of Raging Cajun Athletics is going to be joining us. We're going to talk Bob Marlin's milestone. We're going to talk football team trying to get bowl eligible and so much more with Dan. That's coming up in about six minutes from right now. And then at 8 o'clock, Dan Favali, our buddy from Bleacher Report, NBA reporter columnist, will join us. So we got great stuff still on tap. And then we'll see. If Zach Miller is prepared, just saying, our fantasy football expert, he's got a lot on his plate. He's got to go to Morgan City. He's got to go to all these other places during the week. Will he be raring to go to answer my questions? Hannah believes yes. You know what? I'm going to say yes as well. He's a professional. He's a pro's pro. Poll question of the day. We asked you, which college football contender is most in danger of being upset Now, there's not a ton of great matchups this weekend. Rivalry weekend is actually next weekend. That's where you're going to get Michigan, Ohio State, USC, Notre Dame, Florida, Florida State, Alabama, Auburn. You're going to get the big games next weekend. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Egg Bowl will actually be on Thanksgiving night. But there are a couple of interesting matchups that could disrupt the college football playoff scheme. So which contender is most in danger of being upset this weekend? Right now, 52% of you say number 7 USC versus number 16 UCLA. 52% running away there with the poll question. 38% of you say TCU is in danger because they're playing at Baylor. That's always a competitive game. And then Michigan versus Illinois, only 10% of you say Big Blue is in danger of losing to the fighting alumni. Ralph Bergeron says, hey, the fairgrounds meet starts has to be a great weekend. That's in response to Steve. Ralph says, to find out, call our hotline at 1-866-BUY-CASH. Our bets of this week are 2 and 78, but we really love one of those games, $99. And if we're wrong, you get the rest of the season free. Just have your CC and SSN handy when you call. Good luck. I'm rich and you're not. He shared a gift of the million-dollar man. Shout out to Ralph. That's great. Any old school wrestling reference that can be incorporated into our poll question in your comments is not only will be wildly accepted, it is encouraged. Just just so you know. Just so you know. Just saying, I'm here for it all day long. All day long. Keep those votes coming. Make sure you leave your comments. Just make sure you don't get crazy with it. Sometimes... You get a little salty with your comments with each other. And sometimes I have to step in like a dad 
I don't want to have to do that on this Friday. Okay? Let's not do that this Friday. On Facebook, Robert Duplachan says, TCU, they will be beat. It may not be this week, but they will get beat. They will notice the college football playoff. Brian Guidry on Facebook says, USC and Richie Champon says, TCU. Yeah, USC and TCU, they have the most difficult schedules ahead of them. They're going to be tested this week, next week, and then championship weekend. And both USC and TCU have to win all of their games just to have a chance. Difficult, difficult for them. So keep those votes coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Hey, don't forget that your Alexa or your Google Home speaker helps out around the house. It allows you to control your lights, your thermostats, and so much more. But did you also know that that Alexa or Google Home can also play the game? Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. The game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. we got to take a timeout. But when we return, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. Dan McDonald will join the show. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I feel like I need to open it up and apologize to our next guest. He is a dear friend, has been a mentor to yours truly. He is one of the most respected guys in our industry and a great guest, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer and the man that is the play-by-play voice for ESPN Plus broadcast for Raging Cajun Athletics. Dan McDonald joins us now, and I feel like i got to apologize to you Because not once in the years that I've had you come on my show have I ever made sure we've played Jimmy Buffett for you. I feel like I owe you an apology. Do you accept said apology? Well, my problem right now is, like that commercial said, I feel like I've got that low testosterone after last night. So, so you know, you could you could probably you could probably play me you know taps right now, and I'd probably be be more fitting. But you know, but but I'm gonna make it. You know, it was it was a long night last night at the Cajun Dome, but a fun night. Oh brother, oh brother. All right, let let's let's start there. Bob Marlin, you and I have discussed this before. I like Bob. I've never had any problems with Bob. And I think Bob's a good coach. And I know Cajun fans get testy about Bob because he hasn't been to the tournament as many times as they would like. And I always tell them, I can guarantee you, Bob would have liked to have had the Cajuns in the tournament far more times than they've gotten there as well. What do you make of what he's been able to accomplish with the Raging Cajuns in a historical perspective? Well, number one, it's not easy to get to a tournament to, to the tournament. 
uh, you know, especially in a league. You know, the Sun Belt's been pretty solid over the last few years, and they've always had those one or two teams that have sort of stood out from the rest. I mean, Georgia State had a pretty good role going yeah. for a while. Um, you know, it's it's a it's not a tough league that you can just roll them out and and be you know right there at the top every year. I mean, and that's part of it. Uh, the the one time that he <laughs> excuse me, the one time he had you know the team that was probably considered far and away the best in the league, they did make the tournament. So it's um you know it, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, is it is it a volatile? time in college athletics last few years especially now uh yeah i I think so you know it's harder to have a consistent success uh on this level if you're not in that power five and i know the power five and among others in basketball but it still is the schools that have the more resources and so forth you know it's um you know there, there's a lot of things you can say. I'm, and I'm like you. I, I like Bob a lot. I think he's a good coach. I think this year he's surrounded himself with a, a, a staff that that sort of plays to the guys' strengths. They've got guys that you know are have great backgrounds and know the game and are you know, are willing to put in the time and the the hours to to do it. So, you know, I think that they're going to have a lot of success. But, I, no, I think that Bob's done a great job as far as what he's done here over the last few years. He's not the winningest coach in the Sunbelt Conference for nothing. That is correct. <laughs> and I say, look, it, it's hard. It's hard to win games. It, it just is. It's not an easy thing. If it was, everyone would do it. Let's talk about and this. And this. he's won 450 of them as of last night. Yes, 450. I want to talk about last night's game. They're down by 11 in the second half. Tech comes in with a chip on their shoulder. Not surprising because that's an in-state rivalry. And and, and especially in basketball, Tech and UL always fight uh, really hard when they play each other on the hardwood. They're down by 11, but then they turn it on. And their guys step up and they get contributions across the board. Early in the season to be tested that way and to rally and to gut out a win against a quality opponent. How much does that help a team like this down the road, Dan? Well, they're down by 11 with less than nine minutes left. I think that's a, you know it's a you know that's a good hill to climb against pretty much anybody, especially against a team. You know, Tech's going to make some noise in Conference USA this year. They just have that kind of club. They're a hard club to defend, even though they don't have the dominating big guys. But you know, you look at what. Uh, contrib- you talk about contributions, Cajuns had five guys in double figures. It's rare that you have that when you have one guy getting 23, which uh, which Terrence Lewis did last night. Uh, but, you know, uh, Greg Williams gets 16. Uh, Brown gets 16. Kentrell Garnett gets 16. Dalcourt comes off the bench and gets you 12. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's rare you have that kind of balanced scoring and I think that can do nothing but help going forward uh, because they're they're going to limit that rotation some. You know, the those five, Dalcourt played 16 minutes, and nobody else played more, and Michael Thomas played 13. Nobody else played double-figure minutes last night. Uh, you know, that's going to help them down the, the road because these guys are going to start, I think, gelling together. This is a, This is a group that... You know, is I think going to get better and better 
as they play. And games last night can only help. Uh, I think they're going to be even better when uh, Kobe Julian comes around, hopefully at the start of conference play. But I think you're going to see, you know, those six with Julian and uh, Michael Thomas being that number eight guy to spell folks a little bit at the point. Um, you know, I think those eight, the thing is, every one of those eight are dangerous. You you have to account for every one of those eight when they're on the floor. Uh, and I think that's going to make them, you know, not only is it going to help them, I think this they're going to be a dangerous out for somebody once you get toward the end of the season. Dan, when you look at this team and how they're made up, you just mentioned the, the, the depth and how the rotation is going to be a little bit tighter. You know, they lost a lot of length in big bodies with guys graduating and guys transferring out last year. Do you believe the way the roster is constructed now that it actually benefits them more without having so many big bodies? Well, I know this may sound odd, but I think they're a better overall team with Theo Akuba not there. Um, you know, I, Jordan Brown obviously you know is a great talent inside, but he's not the power dominating big guy. Uh, he can take advantage of his size, but he's not the guy that's going to crash in there, get a lot of rebounds and stuff for you. You really don't want him in that position because, you know, he'll get in foul trouble. He fouled out of the game on Sunday against East Tennessee State. They were able to hold on and win. But, you know, now they have that guy. They have Terrence Lewis II, who is Marcus Stokes reincarnated, except he can score for for people that are longtime UL fans. Uh, you, you watch this guy, and you just marvel at all the things that he does, the, the dirty work that he does. And I don't mean dirty playing. I mean the things that don't get noticed a lot, the positioning for rebounds, the way he switches off defensively, the way he moves people around without getting called for fouls. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's fun to watch if you, if you really love somebody that plays hard-nosed basketball, you know, he's a, he is a dream to watch play. And I think the two of them, uh, Brown and, and Lewis, the more they work together, I think that they're you know, going to develop this chemistry. You already see it a little bit. They're looking for each other, finding each other. Several times last night they were playing a high-low situation, uh, and it didn't matter which one was high and which one was low. Tech was double-teaming Jordan Brown every time he thought about touching the basketball, and that opened a lot. There's a reason that Terrence Lewis, besides having ability, there's a reason he had 23 points, 12 rebounds, is because Tech was double-teaming Brown every time the ball went to him. We're talking with Dan McDonald, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and he's the play-by-play man for Raging Cajun's ESPN Plus broadcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, let's shift from the hardwood to the gridiron. Well, but before we do that, could oh. we touch on one thing that you you touched on? Um, the uh, this was the first time that UL and Tech had played since the changes in the Sun Belt Conference, and you talked about a chip on your shoulder. Uh, we couldn't talk about it, obviously, on the broadcast, really. But you know, there's you know, Tech had something to play for. They had to. They wanted to prove to somebody, you know, that you know those three teams that that walked out of Conference USA and joined the Sun Belt, you know, they Tech wanted to say, well, you made a mistake when you did it. You know, it, I think it's pretty obvious that they did not. 
But, you know, they wanted to show that, you know, we're, we're still, you know, Conference USA is still there. They were carrying a mantle for a league, and, you know, and they they had something to play for. But I think the Cajuns did, too, and I think they realized, you know, that this is, uh, you know, that it, it was more than just an in-state rivalry last night. I firmly believe that. Yes, and Tommy McClendon's, uh Zoom video about Conference USA and being better than the Sun Belt will forever yeah, it, live on. Yep, yeah, it keeps coming back to haunt them. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. All right, brother, let's talk about the gridiron. They played their probably their best game against Georgia Southern a week ago last night at home. Uh, defense, lights out, running game well over 200 yards. Kenny, you know, tied a record with five field goals. They have a tough task ahead of them going to Florida State tomorrow i get that but then they have texas state on the road do you like coach des and his staff's chances to get this team to get to six wins because if they do that it looks like they're bound for shreveport for the independence bowl oh well i think that's a pretty good possibility uh you know they they've still got texas state to play uh texas state should come in off a win i just think that just from what i've seen from an outside looking in, I think they're better than Arkansas State. Uh, they have not had a lot of things go right for them this year. It's not going to be an easy thing to go to San Marcos and win, but we just talked about a team having something to play for. The Cajuns will have something to play for next week, and, and I don't want to bypass this week too much, but you, know, you have to face facts. Uh, last time Florida State gave up a meaningful touchdown was like four games ago. They have not given up a touchdown to either Miami or Syracuse, and that's two pretty good teams. They beat 45-3 to and 38-3. to They are playing absolute best that they have played all year long. They are a much better team right now than that team that opened up the season against LSU. Um you know, then, you know, they're a you know, 24-point favorite for a reason. Now, now have, have have the Cajuns struck lightning before? Yes, they have. Uh, so I don't want don't to bypass anything. But big picture, if you want to look at, you know, what can happen down the road, uh, it's going to be, I believe, the game in San Marcos that's going to determine, you know, whether this team, you know, gets a chance to play for bowl game and plays for – uh, has something to play for at the end of the year, uh, or if they're going to go, you know, into the record book as a team that snapped that bowl streak. And I think that they they realize that fact. Uh, and and it can, you know, that's an accomplishment. You know, a lot of people say there's too many bowl games, but you know, there's also a whole lot of teams that are bowl eligible. I mean, you look at the numbers, and you know, you want to be you want to be in that number. You don't want to be in that number that's not bowl eligible. What do you make of the job that Coach Dez has done in year one? I think it's pretty good. I mean, you 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 have to, you know, I think it was our friend Kevin Foote who went back and made the list of where, you know, players who, who were here last year, where they are playing now uh, as far as in the transfer portal. And, you know, they, you look at some of those names, and that would be – they're difference makers, you know, would they be a better team had all those players been here this year? I think it's obviously yes. Uh, you have more running backs. You've got more offensive linemen. 
Uh, you've got more in a couple of other positions. Um, would, would they be better? Sure. But, you know, that is that is the world we live in in college athletics now. Uh, transfer portal, you're either going to be in the plus in the portal or you're going to be in the minus. Cajuns were definitely in the minus. They did not go heavy into transfer portal. Whether they will do that in the future, I think they'll do it some. I don't think they'll do it as much as some other schools may do it. Um, you know, given all that, given all the people that they lost – and given – I am a firm believer in karma. Uh, they had such good karma over the last three years. Went 34-5, and five, and a whole lot of those 34 wins were last possession, the last play. Teams missed field goals. Uh, you know, I think that this year, you know, it, it's catching up a little bit. You know, there it's a little bit of payback. Uh, you know, people are making those last-second field goals. People are scoring on their last drives, um, and they're still five and five. I mean, it's 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 not like the bottom has fallen out. Um, but yeah, and they they are playing better and better. You know, look how close they could be to instead of five and five to be seven and three because of the the late losses. I mean, actually, it could be eight and two because there are three games decided in the last minute of play. Um, I think they've done, you know, I think they've done a really good job of sort of piecing it together with the player losses, the staff losses, and so forth. Uh, are are they where they want to be? Obviously not, but you know they can still, as they say, their destiny is still in their own hands. And you know, I think this is going to be sort of the, um, you know, maybe I'm looking at it through the rose-colored glasses. I think this is going to be sort of the trampoline season to to bounce back to even bigger things in the next couple of years. Dan, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your weekend, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and Mary Beth and uh, everyone in your family, brother. I hope you enjoy it. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you, and uh, I'm, I plan to eat lots of stuffing myself. There it is. There it is. Dan McDonald, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and the man who is the play-by-play voice for ESPN Plus broadcast for Raging Cajun Athletics, joining us here talking all things vermilion and white. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up the 7 o'clock hour. That's right. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Lyle Lovett and his acoustic group are coming to the Hyman Performing Arts Center on Friday, February 24th, and you won't want to miss this incredible night of live music. Tickets go on sale today at 10 a.m., and you can get your tickets at www.ticketmaster.com. That's www.ticketmaster.com. Once again, get your tickets today at ticketmaster.com to see Lyle Lovett and his acoustic group at the Hyman Performing Arts Center. Tickets go on sale at 10 a.m o'clock sharp so make sure you're prepared make sure you're prepared be ready take the rp3 approach when garth came to the cajun dome had my phone ready in the website logged in ready to go when garth tickets went on sale i would do both that's just me it's a helpful tip from your friend rp3 poll question of the day we wanted to ask you, which college football contender is most in danger of suffering an upset this weekend? Right now, 51% of you say number seven USC taking on crosstown rival UCLA. 40% of you say number four TCU at Baylor. 
going to be on the road in Waco. And only 9% of you say number three, Michigan versus Illinois. Could have some disruptions this weekend. Could change the whole landscape of the college football playoff. And like I said before, TCU, TCU and USC both have immense challenges in front of them. USC has to play UCLA this weekend, then Notre Dame next weekend, and then the Pac-12 championship game, more than likely against Oregon. TCU still has Baylor, then they have the Big 12 championship game. It's going to be tough for both of those teams to go unscathed the rest of the way. So we'll see. Once again, keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and on the Twitter. By the way, the Twitter did not go away. Y'all got to figure that out. Elon Musk, he's just out there trolling everyone. My man spent like a billion dollars to buy Twitter just so he could troll people. Can you imagine having that kind of money? Just just, just burning money. <laughs> That's all you're doing. Hour number two has come to a close. One more hour for today's show and one more hour for the week. Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report will join us to talk NBA. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The NBA. It is kind of a weird place right now. Teams that we thought were going to be pretty good or at least have stars are struggling. We've had some injuries. You have the whole Kyrie Irving debacle. And then you have some other teams that may be punching above their weight class, so to speak, at least to start the season. To break it all down for us, to give us some insight, as only he can, is our good friend, who covers the association for Bleacher Report. He's also behind Hardwood Knox. Dan Favalli joins us now. Dan, good morning to you, brother. How have you been, my friend? I am doing extremely well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, bud. I'm doing great. So, uh, look, we're about, what, 14, 15 games in to the season. I know it's early, but what has kind of stood out to you about the start of this season for the NBA? I think it's, and this is probably becoming a cliche, just the the parity on a night-to-night basis where you're sort of looking at the standings and everyone's so close together and there are these teams that we were expecting to be bad like the Pacers or the Thunder or the Jazz and they're just competing on a night-to-night basis is not actually winning. And so that's made it harder and lessened the margin for error of these teams that we just assumed were going to be powerhouses and and sort of hang around. You know, Philly's struggling without James Harden. Miami's struggling overall. Um, and to see all of that has made it very difficult for me personally to try to wrap my head around like what the actual landscape is now when you have Portland sitting atop the Western Conference um, or the East. Yeah, there's a lot of familiar names at the top, but uh, at the top, but the Hawks, I feel like, haven't really been that good, and yet they're somehow third 
in the East. So it's just been a very bizarrely interesting season, and I do think it's highlighted that right now, and this will change at some point during the year, but there's just there's a ton of parity out there where you don't necessarily understand what's going to happen on a night-to-night basis. Let's start in the East, and I want to start with the Nets and Kyrie Irving. This franchise has become the epitome of dysfunction. The only one that can really give them a run for their money is, of course, the Lakers. In, in a nutshell, how did the Nets fix this? Can they fix this? What are they going to do with Kyrie? I, I, they just seem to be an absolute mess right now. Yeah, they're, and I don't think it's unfair to say this. They're doomed. There's no, there's no fixing this roster the way that it is. Uh, ben Simmons looks like um, in their win last night that he's coming along defensively and he had some really nice offensive moments. Kevin Durant is still really good. They have some interesting offensive players. Uh, but Kyrie's not going to be there beyond this season. That's just the fact at this point. And there's always going to be something with him. He's going to say something. He's going to do something that is wrong. That's going to become a distraction. Um, and they're going to start this whole cycle over again. We've just seen it time and time again since the you know Kyrie and Durant went to Brooklyn initially and then in every season since. So I don't know, you know this team fixing it might entail, oh, can they get back into the top six or the top eight of the East? The talent level's there if they remain healthy, but when you watch them, um, there's just these wild swings on the court from night to night, even when they've been at full strength, where it seems like they can't defend all of a sudden or grab a rebound to save their lives. But then the next night, they might be able to look like a juggernaut. And so, there to me, you know, you have some picks. You go out and try and make a trade. Um, can you get a floor spacing rim protector? Can you add to your wing depth? Those are things they could focus on. But it's just the Nets are – they can be terrifying on a singular night, maybe a span of a week, but this is not a team that is going to hold up for the rest of the season. It's just not going to happen. You know what else kind of stands out to me, Dan, is you know the, the era of just throwing superstars together and putting together a big three or, or sometimes a big four, whatever it might be. I, I don't know if that just works anymore, right? Because we're looking at teams like Milwaukee who – has homegrown talent, and they have one really great player, right? They have a superstar. But then they are smart with their free agent moves, and they get a bunch of second-tier guys to surround the superstar, and yet there they are. And they know how to build up their roster. Boston's the same way. Uh, Are we seeing that kind of method of, hey, just put together a bunch of big-name all-stars, and they'll figure it out. It just doesn't seem like that's working anymore. It's definitely being tested, and I think part of it is it's so expensive to get stars that are not your own anymore because they are not really leaving in free agency. You have to trade for them, and we just saw how much the the Cavs paid for Donovan Mitchell, how much the Timberwolves paid for Rudy Gobert, Um, that if you don't already have multiple stars in place, doing something like that becomes prohibitive, and that increases the importance of, developing through the draft. And the other thing also is even when we've seen these trades go down and we're kind of witnessing it in Minnesota to some extent right now, and of course in Brooklyn, uh, and certainly with the Lakers, uh, depth is important. And so when you look to consolidate, especially when you get to the point where you're trying to get that third star, um, you're obliterating your depth nine times out of ten, if not 9.5 times out of ten. And that's important to help you survive the regular season. And it is somewhat important um, once you get – to the playoffs if you've overworked your stars. And so it seems like we're in the era of trying to find the balance of can you draft and develop enough star power and depth so that you have the top-end talent necessary to contend, but not so much that 
um, you you obliterate all your depth, but then you also do still need star power because we're looking at you know Dallas right now, just sort of up and down with Luca, and he's just so incredibly high usage. There's no way he's going to hold up um, over the course of the entire season into the playoffs, and so that's why I think team building right now in the NBA is such a fascinating concept because it does feel like it's a delicate balance for a lot of the reasons that you just outlined um, before, more so than it's been in a while. Who's in more danger of kind of falling to the back of the pack for a considerable amount of time this season? Is it Philly, despite Joel and Embiid playing at a monster level, or is it a team that I don't think is getting enough flack for their slow start? And I know Lonzo Ball's been injured, but the Chicago Bulls, they made some moves, and here they sit three games under five hundred. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the Bulls. Their offense has been uh, all sorts of wonky. And you mentioned Lonzo Ball. There's just no guarantee that he even plays this season right now. Um, they've had to deal with some knee maintenance issues from Zach Levine, and, and he's been fine overall. But when you start to dig into the nitty-gritty and, and how dependent they are on Goran Dragic this season, um, they're, they're shaky. They don't have a ton outside of their bench, and then they have a starting unit that, yeah, it looks okay on paper, but it's actually not faring too well at the moment, and they don't have chips that they can play and necessarily double down on their hand. They already have two future picks traded. Um, Patrick Williams, he's been up and down, and so his value on the trade market as a, as a centerpiece in a package, I don't know how much that actually gets you if you attach him to some other salary, even though he's played um, or shot the ball at least fairly well of late. And so they're definitely a team that I could see. I'd be a little bit surprised if they sort of pivoted into just this midseason tank. Um, but they're a team that I, I think could fade outside of the playoff play-in discussion um, sooner, I think, than a lot of people even expected, even if they were down on the Bulls. We're talking with Dan Favalli, Bleacher Report, NBA reporter. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's switch over to the Western Conference. Uh, the Jazz decide to go with the rebuild and trade away their two best players. And yet, here they sit as a top four seed currently in the West. How are they doing it? They they just play this high-energy, really spaced-out offense where there are these five-out lineups. They're able to attack. They have shot the ball fairly well from three this season, so, so that certainly helps them. But there's just like a level of unpredictability and, and chemistry to them where you don't necessarily know where it's coming from on any given night. And what they've done, essentially, is they've, whether it was mostly on accident because we know they prioritize draft picks, but they built a roster that just has a bunch of rock-solid guys um, who, you know, they're not, they might be redundant to some extent, but when you look at their positions and their size and their skill sets, but they also know how to play off each other. And so seeing that Mike Conley being able to make plays off his dribble penetration, same with Larry Marketing, um, Kelly Olenek and Jared Vanderbilt dropping nice passes, running the floor. Um, like I mentioned before, I think a big part of this is their lineups on offense, they stretch defenses just, just way for thin. And so they're built to kind of attack you without having to rely on one person to capitalize on mismatches, and I think that's been the biggest thing. And they've, they've also been a pretty good offensive rebounding team despite playing five out. And so sort of that um, that that floor hustle, and especially on the, the offensive end, the, the energy with which they – and the incessance with, with, with which they're able to attack, I don't know if it's caught teams off guard thus far. We have seen the, the Jazz lose a couple over the past few days. Um, but that's the biggest thing that has stood out to me is just how they're able to – uh, make use of the the geometry of the the floor on offense. The defending world champs have struggled. They're six and nine. 
They've gone three and seven in their last ten. I know defense has been the big issue with them. Where's that great Golden State defense gone? But is it more than just lack of execution on the defensive side of things? I do. I think it's it's a roster construction flaw. And, you know, they're not playing James Wiseman right now. They have limited the minutes of some of the, the younger guys in general. But when you look at Kaminga and Moody and Wiseman specifically, they're taking up three spots on the roster. And so if those aren't three spots that you're looking at Kaminga and Wiseman that you're not able to count on, like you're not getting minutes from anybody else there. And they had the Dante DiVincenzo injury, of course, but the bench has just become like really dependent on Anthony Lamb or they've had to, you know, use, uh, they've had to use just other guys that they didn't anticipate. They, it doesn't look like they can use your Michael Green as much as they want to. I do think defense is a huge part of it. I think we've seen, when James Wiseman was on the floor, when Jordan Poole is on the floor, the players behind them really seem like they're overcompensating um, to try and cover up, and that's caused the Warriors to foul more than usual. But it just comes back to it's almost a simple math equation of you start to run out of reliable NBA players once you get to six or seven on their depth chart, and now you combine that with the fact that, hey, play shooting's been off. And, you know, look, we could say it. He's had a little bit of a rebirth over the – you know, a couple of the previous games, and except for their most recent loss against Phoenix, Jordan Poole's just been bad. I mean, he's still been a pretty good passer, and there are things he can do with the ball in his hands offensively. He's been bad on defense. He's been wildly inconsistent, verging on bad as a scorer, an efficient scorer on offense. And when you look at him as your star in waiting, and he can't even bring you close to net neutral during the minutes in which Steph Curry sits, that's a real problem. And if you're, you're, very, if you're interested in, you know, catering to the Steph Curry timeline, which is right freaking now, um, you're probably going to need to look at making a move this season just because I don't think you get lucky enough on the buyout market to acquire guys who are going to make enough of an, of an impact from, from playoff time. So some of it certainly can be remedied. Jordan Poole will play better. Clay Thompson will shoot better. But it, it becomes a roster construction flaw when you really start to dig into it. I'm watching right now the Hulu – docuseries on the Lakers legacy and it's fascinating and it's and it's a great watch and then I wake up the next morning and realize that the Lakers are three and ten with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook and we talk about roster construction and it's immensely flawed there in Hollywood what do the Lakers do are they going to blow this up mid-season what are they going to do or are they just going to be committed to wasting another year of LeBron James and Anthony Davis together? I honestly don't know what they're going to do, but I do feel like the latter is more likely at this point, just because when you look at the deals that might be out there for what they, for what first round picks they are able to include and attach to Russ's salary, there is no deal. Even if they end up, you know, trying to um, get Kyrie Irving from the net, if, the, if Brooklyn wants to get him, there's no deal out there that just elevates the Lakers to, the title contention. And so I think they're going to run into the problem of, well, why are we going to give up these picks? Why might we compromise some of our summer cap space just to be a team that still isn't guaranteed to make the, the playoffs or the play-in because there's so little margin for error in the Western Conference. Like, they're already, like, six games out of first place. is not that much when you're in 14. But when you look at the teams in front of them, you expect Golden State to get better. You expect the Clippers to get better. The Kings have been been frisky the pelicans are even going to continue to get better even though they're top five team in the the west and so seeing teams like portland and utah specifically and even the kings get off to better starts and the thunder get off to better starts 
there are only so many squads that you're actually going to leapfrog over the course of of this year. And so it would not shock me. Maybe there's something that materializes closer to the trade deadline where they're taking back longer-term money without giving up picks. But I don't see them doing anything appreciable enough um, for them to, I guess, be mentioned in the same breath as, like, even one of the top six teams, let alone, like, the top four in the Western Conference. If I would have told you before the start of the season that heading into the weekend before Thanksgiving, the best team in the state of California was going to be Sacramento, would you have told me I was crazy? Uh, I might have used different words, but yeah, I definitely would have told you that. <laughs> yeah, you would have speculated if I was uh, on drugs. Yet, yet here they are, Sacktown. They've won five straight, eight of their last two. They are the best team. They're ahead in the standings above the Clippers, above the Warriors, and above the Lakers. How are the Kings doing it, Dan? Uh, I mean, for starters, they are just an offensive terror uh, when you watch them. And De'Aaron Fox has played at a borderline all-NBA level right now, which has been absolutely huge for them. I think this is probably the best defensive season of his career, even though the Kings aren't great on defense. So having him play, that helps. Kevin Herter has brought just this wild offensive dynamic to them, someone who can hit these motion, deep, ultra-difficult threes, and he's really just, you know, slinging the lights out right now. Malik Monk has given them great minutes. Um, Keegan Murray's looked like a rookie at points, but he's been solid, especially as Harrison Barnes has struggled. Terrence Davis has given them some, like, real defensive energy, and they just they keep coming at you. And so even if the defense isn't necessarily going to be good overall, uh, the offense right now I think is – you know, it's third in transition efficiency, and then I think in points scored per possession uh, that it's, like, second overall. So they're just going to continue to come at you, and they're winning the match. Like, yeah, the defense has been bad, but the offense has been better than the defense. And they're doing everything from, you know, protecting the ball to getting to the line in a nice clip to, to shooting well from the floor and getting to their spots. The bonus really coming on over these past 10 games has helped them out a lot. Um, there does seem to be an element of fragility there just because I wouldn't trust their defense over the life of, of this season, but uh, they're a team that I thought was going to be maybe in the playing conversation if they're lucky, but it might be time to, um, you know, reformat expectations. Things like, oh, maybe this is like they're an ace right now. Um, could they leapfrog two of those teams in front of them? I would bet against no, but they are a lot riskier than than I expected them to be. Portland, New Orleans, Utah, Sacramento. Did not see that coming. <laughs> I'm just going to – did not see those teams being some of the best in the Western Conference. Dan, always appreciate you making the time, brother. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing for Bleacher Report and hope you and your family have a happy Thanksgiving, my friend. You as well. Thanks for having me as always. I will talk to you soon. Yeah, it's been a weird start to the NBA season. Sacktown's actually pretty good. <laughs> Who would have thought that? We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. Zach Miller, fantasy football expert, former league champion, is going to join us. It's going to help you set your lineup for the weekend. That's only on here, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What?
Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite quartz and marble here in Acadiana. And Chris and his team at LMG, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their new line of grout-free showers. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and guess what? In a few years, you don't have to worry about that odor as well. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and tremendous products they have to offer. Live inventory updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Which college football playoff contender is on upset watch the most? Is it number three Michigan versus Illinois? Is it number four TCU at Baylor? Or is it number seven USC versus number 16 UCLA? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now it's time for us to talk fantasy football with our expert, the former RP3 and Company League champion, Mr. Fantasy himself, Zach Miller, joins us now. Zach, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I am good. Loving it. Football weather. It is football weather. That's right. Let's go. Let's go. And let's talk about weather because that leads me to my first question. Bills-Browns game has been officially moved to Detroit because of blizzard conditions anticipated for this weekend. Right. But that's not my concern about the Bills. They've stumbled here a bit. And Josh Allen, I know, is dealing with a hand issue. And as great as he is, and as much of an MVP candidate that he truly is, he's also become a turnover machine. He's got a lot of Brett Favre in him in a lot of different ways. He leads the NFL in turnovers. And the Bills are starting to stumble a little bit here. Do you have any reservations whatsoever about Josh Allen the rest of the way? As it pertains to fantasy, not so much. He was drafted the consensus number one overall quarterback, and even with all of the turnovers, he's still in that spot. Although guys that were drafted a little bit after him certainly gave you a better return on your investment. Um, But he's still going to do what you hoped he would do for fantasy purposes. Now, that obviously doesn't make the Bills look like the the favorite to win the Super Bowl, like everyone was saying in the offseason. So it doesn't doesn't really project well for them uh, if he continues to turn over the ball. But for fantasy purposes, uh, he's still hard to beat. If he stumbles and the the finger and the hand keep giving him issues, would you then be concerned, or do you think he's just tough enough that he's just going to play through it and that you don't have to worry about him in your lineup? Uh, Yeah, no, as long as they're putting him out on – field uh he's gonna do what he does 
Um, but if it gets to the point where it progresses to get worse and they end up having, obviously having to bench him, yeah, at, at that point, uh, you, you'll be scrambling to find a better alternative for sure. Let's talk about a guy who has traditionally done very well in fantasy football. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's always throwing garbage time touchdowns. Well, he did early in his career in Washington and has done so for a good part of his career in Minnesota. But Kirk Cousins, you know, he gets hated on a lot and I've been critical of him. But does that narrative actually fit for fantasy football? Is he the new Tony Romo, a guy that has a reputation for not being able to win big games, but puts up huge numbers fantasy wise? Or Dak Prescott. Yeah, uh, yeah, he definitely fits that mold. Because, um, I mean, you had guys like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, all drafted ahead of him. And he's outperformed them. And every year he outperforms where he's drafted. For whatever reason, he gets, for fantasy purposes, he gets drafted way later than he should. And he just consistently outplays his average draft position, which is what you're looking for when you're building a fantasy football team, someone who's going to give you a return on your investment. And year in and year out, he does. So, yeah, he's definitely slept on as a fantasy player. Justin Fields is putting up monster numbers. Chicago has finally unleashed his ability as a dual-threat quarterback. Now, the Bears still, you know, stink, but Fields is putting up monster numbers. Is he a guy that you need to keep in your lineup as a starter for the remainder of the season? Do you have enough confidence in that he's going to be able to keep up this pace, so to speak, Zach? Yeah, keeping up that pace is, is going to be hard to do because uh, he's on a a tear right now. I do still think that he's going to be a top-end fantasy starter for the rest of the way just because those dual-threat quarterbacks are money when it comes to fantasy. Um, even if he's having a tough day throwing the ball, he has shown that he can absolutely you know, keep them in the ball game and destroy teams with his legs. So, yeah, you're going to want him in your lineup um, the rest of the way, but I do expect as teams figuring out his strengths and weaknesses a little bit for him to come back down to earth just a little bit. But, yeah, he's still going to be money. Let's wrap it up with this. Sunday's game between the Rams and the Saints is a battle of mash units on teams that are woefully underperforming in 2022. Cooper Cup, the Rams' best player by far, is now out. Matthew Stafford still doesn't look right. And the Saints, well, we've seen how they looked, and they're going to continue going with Andy Dalton, who is apparently honoring Jameis Winston by becoming a turnover machine. Uh, do you have anyone in this matchup? Should you have anyone in this matchup in your fantasy football starting lineup this weekend? No, not 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 anyone I can think of, unless you're projecting Allen Robinson to just get a huge increase and target share, which he hasn't really done much going against the number two cornerback all season long. So I don't think he'll fare very well when he's going to be getting all of the attention of the top cornerbacks now. So, uh, no, I, I would uh, steer clear. And uh, same thing for the Saints, right? Maybe, maybe Chris Olave, maybe, maybe, right? Or yeah, I mean he's going to be he's going to have Ramsey locked on him. Um, so that that that's going to be tough for anybody, but. Uh, yeah, just on sheer volume, he may be 
he'd be hard to bench because he he has performed pretty consistently. So I, I doubt you have anybody on your bench who you know who's a better option. And I'm sure all those people that raced out to pick up or trade for Taysom Hill about a month ago, they're feeling good about that decision for fantasy purposes, as the Saints have forgotten about him altogether. <laughs> yeah, just... you got to love fantasy, right? Oh, man. Oh, Zach, appreciate your time, brother. Um, you know what? Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Oh, that's right. You're coming over to the house. So I'll see you on Thursday. <laughs> see you on Thursday, good, brother. brother. All right, bud. We got to take a time out. Fantasy talk, put it aside. We're going to talk Saints, Rams, this weekend inside the Dome. Fletcher Mackle from WDSU will be joining us to break it all down for the Big Easy Blitz. That's next, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone, touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. I think we've gotten to the point in the season where, I don't know, we start looking at other things, right? My mom sent me a text message about that you can go stay in the Grinch's cave. They recreated the cave from the Grinch Who Stole Christmas someplace in Utah, booking like hotel rooms. I'm thinking maybe I need to spend more time thinking about doing that than wasting any more time on the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> I'm just just saying, and I think a lot of people probably feel that way. Fletcher Mackle joins us now. Fletcher, good morning to you, bud. Uh, is it time for us to start thinking about other things than the New Orleans Saints? Oh, 110%. I mean, look, three and seven, and I understand mathematically because the NFC South is such a train wreck this year that, sure, the Saints could go on some crazy winning streak and get back into it and knock off the Bucks on Monday night. But what this season has given you hope that that's going to happen and really what the last two weeks has given you any reason for hope or belief. I mean, look, they went to Pittsburgh and played a team that is bad, that's playing a rookie quarterback, that's resetting this year, and they lost in every statistical facet of the game. It, the fact that it was only 20 to 10, it should have been 40 to 10. Well, it was only 20 to 10 because Pittsburgh is trash. That, that, that's the only right. reason why it wasn't worse, right? I mean, well, and I agree with you. For a little while, Saints fans and people were like, well, they just kept moving the goalposts back. Well, you know what? We're only a game out of the division, and we have a chance to make the playoffs. But with the exception of the Raiders game in the fourth quarter against the Dirty Birds, I see a team that's bound to have a top-five draft pick. They do everything bad teams do. Penalties, unnecessary penalties, missing tackles, getting abused by opponents' run game when that a team can't even average 100 yards a game like they did on Sunday against Pittsburgh. Uh, health issues, turnovers. Everything bad teams do, the Saints do really well. There's no proof to me, Fletcher, that this team can turn it around. Look, that's, that's, that's exactly it. That's why when you said, is it time to start focusing on other things? Yes, it is. Because I, I have no confidence in them beating the Rams this week, going to San Francisco and winning, then going to Tampa Bay on Monday night and winning. I think the Saints have a very late bye this season. I think the Saints are going to hit their bye at 3-10. and 10. 
and in the month of December is going to be completely inconsequential. Thank goodness LSU is playing in the SEC championship game and is going to get a good bowl game. And thank goodness Tulane is having their best year in 24 years because that's the only football that really matters in, uh, in, in South Louisiana or at least in the New Orleans area right now as far as I'm concerned. So, look, you cover this team. You know, you're, you're there all the time. You're at practices. You're at all the press conferences, and, and you kill it in that regard. So I'm going to ask you this because – when I heard Dennis Allen speak earlier this week, I was like, oh, no, man. I was like, no, what are you doing? And, and and my producer, she got so livid, and she's a Saints fan, all transparency, that she grabbed the microphone and stood up and ranted, and she's the nicest, most docile person you'll ever meet. When he opens his mouth and says, well, you know, there has to be a sense of urgency now, you're three and seven. Why wasn't there a sense of urgency in week three? Why wasn't there a sense of urgency in week five? Why does it take this team being three and seven for him to all of a sudden say that there's a sense of urgency? It just stands out to me for all the wrong reasons, Fletcher. But I want to ask you, you cover this team day in, day out. Uh, Did that stand out to you when he made that remark? Um. No, and it, and it didn't. And maybe it's because I've covered every Dennis Allen press conference since training camp, and I've been there, like you said. So I don't know, and, and I enjoy kind of having schools of thought like this because it helps you see a different perspective because you're not the only person to tell me that. Other people have said, boy, that was the worst press conference I've seen. Boy, what was he saying? So I like Dennis. I think Dennis is a smart football man. I think Dennis is an amazing defensive coordinator. I, I just think that what is he supposed to say at this point that he's reverted into the cliche-ish coach lines right now. Uh, there's got to be a sense. He knows the season isn't over. He can't say we're done or we're looking to the future. And, and I don't think he's savvy enough as a head coach. I don't think he's going to yell and scream. I don't think he's going to throw his team under the bus. You know, I remember covering Coach O. When they, when they lost to Bama pretty badly, and he was pretty open about, we got to get better. We're not good enough. we got to recruit better. And I remember I thought that was eye-opening, thinking, wow, he just threw his team under the bus. But I thought it was actually, you know, people told me, no, that's what he needed to do. I think that was 2018, and then in 2019, they won it all. Yeah, it was 2018 when Alabama came and beat them in Tiger Stadium. He said that afterwards. You're right. 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 I think it was like 29-10. And, he, and I felt like, I said, wow, he's kinda, he threw his team under the bus. I've never seen that before. Uh, and, and I don't think that's who Dennis is. And I also think that he's still finding the balance of how far can I push these guys before I lose them? Because right now I think he hasn't lost the locker room. I will say that. We talked to Tyron Matthew this week. We talked to a lot of the players in the locker room. They are still on board with Dennis, but they know that it's a bad situation. So I think he's in a tough spot. Sean Payton could, could rain down hellfire and, and get away with it because he had more, you know, he had just, you know, I guess more skin in the game, so to say, or he had more, you know, skins on the wall, so to say, whereas Dennis doesn't have that. So Dennis, when things are bad right now, in it's crisis management mode, he is saying and doing, I don't know about all the wrong things, but he's saying and doing all the cliche things, which doesn't mm. make anybody in fandom very happy or gives them you know reason for encouragement then he followed that up this week and he just he just did not have a good week 
he followed that up with the announcement that Andy Dalton was going to be the starting quarterback moving forward. And he said two different sound bites, Fletcher. In one hand, he said, yeah. well, Andy is, is the direction of what we want to do with this offense. And he made it out like Dalton bet, was the better fit for the scheme, right? But then on the same hand, like moments later, he also said, well, Jameis isn't 100% healthy. So I, what is it? Like, and I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's what causes a lot of frustration for the fan base is, okay, well, he had four fractured vertebrae in his back, and then he had a bum foot, and he still played because Jameis wanted to play to try to help his team win. And you let him play then, but now that he's supposedly healthy, you're not letting him play, but then you tell us that he's not 100%, but then you say Andy Dalton's the best offensive fit. It's conflicting messages, and I think that frustrates the fan base. Oh, there's no doubt. There's, look, Sean Payton used to say there has to be clear messaging, and he was, if anything, he was a little bit too pushy or a little bit too bullish sometimes with that yeah. messaging. Um, it, but it was always pretty clear, and you knew where he stood. Dennis also said at the end of that kind of, you know, finally saw some passion because he kept getting pressed on the quarterback is an injury. And finally he said, this is my decision. I made this decision. And this is the insight, and this is just my opinion, but you call me for my opinion. I feel like Dennis is now coaching for his job. That, look, the, the, Mrs. Benson, the hierarchy here, Mickey Loomis, Dennis Lausha, Greg Bensel, her leadership team, they are loyal and sometimes loyal to a fault. They were very loyal to the Pelicans coach, Alvin Gentry. They didn't want to fire him. They probably kept him a season too long. They are very, very loyal here to players and coaches, um, even going back to Sean Payton's assistant, that assistant back in 2016, guys like Greg McMahon and Bill Johnson and Joe Vitt, after those three bad years, you know, he and Nicky kind of had to have a reconciliation, so to say, and Sean had to make the moves. But the one thing about this organization is they're loyal to a fault. And, and I think that they would never fire Dennis during the season because Dennis has been here for 12 years, two different stints, and they love Dennis, and he has been part of their success. But I think if he finishes with four or five wins, his job is in jeopardy and he may be a one-and-done coach. I think they looked at this team and said, even though we don't have a legit quarterback, Sean Payton took this group. Last year, the Saints had more injuries than any other team. They lost the game to COVID against the Dolphins. They flew players in that morning, and the NFL made them play that night. They played four quarterbacks. They dealt with a lot of crazy circumstances, and Sean Payton still had this team with nine wins last year. Dennis Allen got a better situation with the same team. If he finishes with four or five wins, I think he's going to probably lose his job. I think he's got to get to six or seven wins to maybe save his job and let them say, okay, we still feel comfortable with you. And I think the Andy decision is more of, if I have to save my job of these two, who do I want? I still trust Andy more than Jameis. If they're letting me make the decision, I think he realizes he's coaching for his job right now. Fletcher, this season seems to be lost. They have so many guys under massive contracts moving forward. They got a lot of money tied up in Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and now Eric McCoy and Ramchick and Andres Pete and Cam Jordan, and, and they got a lot of money. How do they fix this? How do you, how do you enter the offseason season? 
especially not having your first-round pick, which Philly will use to draft in the top five more than likely. How, how do you fix this? So that's the, that's the grand question. That, to me, is more of the question that you and I will have going forward on these, on these radio stints, um, is because talking about this season, we just spent the last 20 minutes kind of burying the season. I think we all know it's over with. But going forward, they are in a really precarious situation and I think they're going to look back at the 2022 offseason, and it could have potentially set them back years. Because the way they do business, everybody always says they kick the can down the road. They restructure deals in a way that is totally unique in the NFL. It, somebody always told me, it's paying for things on credit card. Most teams pay their bills right up front with cash, all at the one lump sum. The Saints kick it down the road and restructure contracts and defer money for years to come. Because of that, if you ever wanted to rebuild, it wouldn't be a one-year clean sweep type process. It would have to be a painful years-long process. So uh, where do they go? I'm not quite sure because blowing it up and starting over, if people say things like that, it's not that feasible because you are stuck in in a horrible salary cap situation. Um, Like here's an example another guy. If they cut Tyron Matthew, they'll eat all $9 million of his salary next year oh. and take a $9 million salary cap hit. I mean, there's no point in, in Tyron Matthew not playing football for this team next year because the Saints will pay him to play football for somebody else. Michael Thomas has been a disaster, but their cap hit is, is so inflated with him. Um, same thing with Cam Jordan and Demario Davis. I know they're aging players, but to move on from them, it, it would be such a net negative for you you know, not only on the field, but from a financial, you know, NFL math structure standpoint, that where they go, I'm not sure how they get out of this situation because they can't draft a quarterback. I don't know who's playing quarterback. And the guys they have that cost a lot, look, DeMario's still a good player, but and Cam is still a good player, but at the price they make, you know, those guys are good players if you're a championship-ready-made team. Are those guys that are, are, are rebuilding-type players that are already in their 30s, and they're not? So the Saints are facing, you know, to me, this is going to be the most interesting offseason that I think we've covered since Hurricane Katrina when Sean Payton got here and they did blow it up. The entire coaching staff was new. 37 of 53 players were new. Um, but it took a seismic, life-changing experience in, in the entire city to bring that about. I don't think that's what's going to happen this offseason. So I'm curious to see what they do and how they do it because there's not a lot of clear paths to what you would call on-paper success. Fletcher, tremendous as always, brother. That's why I call on you. Thank you for making the time. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, my friend. We'll talk to you soon, bud. All right. I appreciate any time. Yeah, I mean, that's the big question. How do they fix this? And I don't see how they can do it. It could be a couple of uh, lean years, so to speak. Got to take a timeout. When we return, producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names, yours truly, will finalize the poll question of the day. Get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs>
Oh, it's another great deal from AcadianaDeals.com. Today, you can get a $30 voucher to Mudcat Whiskers for just $15. That's a $30 deal for half the price. Once again, visit AcadianaDeals.com. That's AcadianaDeals.com today to get yourself a $30 voucher for Mudcat Whiskers, but for only $15. I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests for helping us wrap up the work week. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast. Dan McDonald, ESPN Plus play-by-play man for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Dan Favali from Bleacher Report. Fantasy football expert Zach Miller. And, of course, Fletcher Mackle from WDSU-TV in New Orleans. Poll question of the day. We asked you, which college football playoff contender is in most danger of being upset this weekend? Got three options. Overwhelmingly, you guys selected number seven USC taking on number 16 UCLA. 48% of you voted that way. 39% say TCU, number four in the latest rankings. They got to go to Waco and take on the Baylor Bears. And only 13% of you said number three Michigan taking on the fighting alumni of Illinois. Thank you for all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thank you for all who commented on the poll question of the day. And that's going to do it for today's show. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, a.k.a. the hoodie expert of the game, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday morning. But until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.